today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Noah was a just man, perfect, and by the way, that word in the original carries with it the idea of intact. He was a just man, intact in his generations which in the original language carries with it the idea of his genetics. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Nobody's perfect. Even the folks in the Bible who we think of as being holy had their moments of doubt. So, Pastor J.D. reminds us today that when they talk about Noah being perfect, the actual translation is, he was found intact in his DNA. If we start messing around with our genetics, then we mess with God's creation. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We're currently in the amazing book of Hebrews, and our text today is going to be Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to make it all the way through to verse 7. So one verse, <laughs> I know we could do this. Actually, you'll see why, I hope here in a moment, that we're only taking this one verse today. The writer of Hebrews is writing by the Holy Spirit and says, verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So I want to talk with you today about the prophetic and stunning, and I mean stunning, similarities with how the world today is just like it was in Noah's day. And the reason is because the writer of Hebrews is going to reacquaint us with Noah, this man of faith, as he continues with what we affectionately refer to as the Hall of Faith. I really sought the Lord this last week in preparation for the teaching today. And I, I really am looking forward to Abraham, who's next, by the way, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, I tried, Lord willing, that's next week. But I just sensed from the Lord that He would have us to look at and talk about Noah, more specifically the days of Noah. And if you'll kindly allow me to, I'll first share with you the similarities. Then 
explain the prophetic implication and application to our lives. In order to do that, we're going to need first to revisit what the days of Noah were like, because this is going to be germane to our understanding of our text. I'm keenly aware that I run the risk of an oversimplification when I say this, but I say this nonetheless. You can basically sum up Noah's day in three ways, namely the population of man, the wickedness of man, and the genetics of man, all of which are recorded for us in Genesis 6. I'll encourage you to join me there in chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 1. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, that's the population, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then, verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, verse 4, were on the earth in those days. Some of your translations render them as the giants. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes, some of your translations render it, mighty of old, men of renown. The Lord, verse 5, saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. That's the wickedness of man. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's uh, interesting. Would you uh, allow me to kind of paraphrase what we just read there? Because that's kind of full, that verse, a little bit. In other words, every thought, the imagination, the creative imagination, the inventing of evil on the part of man, the thoughts of man, the thinking of man, the human heart of man, was only always evil, always only. I know that's not proper sentence structure, but you get the point. They had become so wicked, so evil. I, I, I remember when we were teaching through Genesis, this is many years ago now, when we started in the Old Testament on Thursday nights. And when we got to chapter 6, I remember just really studying hard, rightly dividing the word of truth, particularly with this chapter. It's kind of a gnarly chapter. 
Would you agree? And I have this thought that the wickedness and the evil of man in Noah's day, according to verse 5, was such that they would look for new ways of wickedness. You'll forgive the the silliness with which I illustrate this, but they would get up in the morning and the first thought that would come to mind is, I wonder what wicked evil I can do today. (laughs) Again, I'm sorry for, if you have a better illustration, I'm more than willing to hear about it. They had become so wicked, so evil, so perverse. It was actually for this reason that God destroyed the earth in the days of Noah, and this by way of a flood. Dare I say that the human DNA had been corrupted. If you'll allow me to, I'll explain how I get there. We actually see it beginning in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This, verse 9, is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect, and by the way, that word in the original carries with it the idea of intact. He was a just man, intact, in his generations, which in the original language carries with it the idea of his genetics, genetically, generationally. So let me reread that verse. Noah was a just man, intact in his genetics, generationally. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth, verse 11, was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh, human, had corrupted human their way on earth. Okay. For those who are interested, we actually devoted an entire prophecy update to this. We go into great detail about the comparison to Noah's day and our days, specifically as it relates to the altering of the human DNA. And that's all I'm going to say. And you know why. Okay. Now, question. What does this have to do with us? with where we're at in our day, today, (laughs) all of these generations later? Answer, it has to do with 
a prophecy from Jesus himself about how the last days before his return will be like the days of Noah. Matthew chapter 24, let me begin reading in verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Some Bible commentators suggest that in the original, this kind of carries with the idea of same-sex marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And I want you to hang on to verse 39. We're going to come back to it in a moment. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, in Luke's gospel, we have the Savior saying basically the same thing, only in Luke's gospel, he connects it with the days of Lot, and for good reason. Let me begin reading Luke 17, verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. By the way, let me parenthetically say Lot had to be taken out before the judgment could come down. In fact, in the narrative it's really quite interesting in the detail that were provided there was a hesitancy on the part of Lot, certainly his wife and daughters, by the way. And we're told that the angel of the Lord actually grabbed him and pulled him out, because he hesitated. The urgency being, we cannot let any judgment come down until you're taken out. You get the picture? So the comparison of the days of Lot to the days of Noah, now we talked about this last week, because the hall of faither, I know that's not a word, don't email me, that we looked at last week was Enoch, <laughs> who walked with God, wait for it, <laughs> and then was no more, because God took him. He raptured him out before the judgment came down. Enoch, a picture of the church and the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And then again there's interesting detail in the narrative. So Noah and his family, a picture of Israel, enter into the ark and 
They are therefore seven, I'm always careful with my fingers now, seven days. And then the judgment came down, a picture of the pre-seven year tribulation rapture of the church. Again, talking about Abraham, again, can't wait till next week. You have to come next week. If you don't come next week, we will come and find you. Actually, if you're, if you're not feeling well, we will not come and find you. You stay home. But Abraham, you remember that account of him pleading with the Lord? Lord, certainly you're not going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because his nephew's there. I mean, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, you're not going to judge it. No, I won't. And then Abraham realizes, wait a minute, (laughs) maybe I better lower that number because there's probably not 50 righteous. So then he goes down the line. And isn't it interesting that when he gets down to that lowest number, there are still not that many righteous there? What's your point, Pastor? The righteous are not destined for the wrath and the judgment of God. When the seven-year tribulation begins, it is the judgment of God that is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And no judgment can come down until the church is taken out, like Lot. Now we've got ourselves a a situation here. Can I say it like that? The situation is we have this detailed prophecy from the Savior Himself, no less, that is comparing the days of Noah and the days of Lot to our day at the time of the end before He returns. Well, that's interesting. That kind of gives us an idea then. So all we have to do is start looking at what it was like in Noah's day, and let's compare it to what it's like in our day. The wickedness of man? Are you kidding me? Forget the population of man. They're working on that, by the way, trying to reduce that. God will have the final say on that, by the way. But how about the genetics of man? Perhaps it goes without saying, and I know we've talked about it in our prophecy updates, but you know what seals the fate and dooms and damns the one who takes the mark, right? The book of Revelation is explicit that those who take this mark will be cast into the lake of fire. They are doomed and damned. There is no hope of redemption or salvation for them. Why? Because they're now outside the scope of salvation and redemption, because they are no longer human. Their human DNA has been altered. Jesus became a man, human, to redeem man. That's why this whole Klaus Schwab fourth industrial revolution, great reset is about merging man with machine, transhumanism. And they're not even trying to hide it. 
I'm sorry I'm yelling. That was the prophecy update. We'll save that for another time. That's why. And Satan knows it. That if he, like in the days of Noah, can corrupt the DNA of man, that man now is not redeemable. If he can corrupt the human DNA as he did in Noah's day, in our day, that's what he's doing. And that's the why behind the what. That alone, stand alone, would you agree, would sort of seal the deal as it relates to the comparison of Noah's day to our day? One more thing on this. It's not in my notes, so it's too late at this point. <laughs> Moderna, we've talked about this, right? Mod, mode, RNA, modify RNA. You know what RNA is? RNA does all the work and DNA gets all the credit. The RNA goes to the parts of the body, the cells of the body, so you have a mRNA, it's got a message that the RNA takes into the DNA and using CRISPR like a scissors cuts out the human DNA and inserts what Moderna calls, by the way, the software of life. It's an operating system. Are we surprised? Are we surprised that one Bill Gates is the one who, you know, my first computer, 1982, don't do the math, I was two. Uh, it was a IBM PC clone, and it didn't even have a hard drive. It had those two big floppy disks, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you young people have no idea, just whatever. Didn't even have a hard drive. It, had this, it was huge. The monitor was as big as this pulpit. And it was slow. You stick that floppy in, that was the operating system. Then you put in the other one, that's the software. It was basically a glorified typewriter at that point. I'll never forget when I, when I upgraded. I got a 20 megabyte hard drive. Oh my goodness. I'll never fill that up. 20 megabytes! 20 megabytes! My oldest son uh, recently showed me a micro SD card. I mean, not an SD card, a micro SD card, okay? I mean, even my reading glasses with the strength that I have, not enough. I, could, I was like, what is that? It's one terabyte. Terabyte? Do you know how many gigabytes that is? One terabyte, a little itsy bitsy thing. Okay, I know I said that was one last thing on this. I got one more last thing on this. I truly believe that this is demonic intelligence, satanic intelligence. Oh, it's called AI, artificial intelligence, but <laughs> You don't think Satan knows the human genome and how to alter it? And all of this knowledge, where do you think it comes from? The technology. And that's what's happening. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Hebrews is rather enlightening as it traces all the history and traditions of the Old Testament, but ties them into the significance of Jesus and the New Testament. Essentially, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament covenants and symbols. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. It would be fascinating to have been a Jew during Jesus' time and to then later realize that Jesus was and is everything he said he would be. To fully understand the newer things, it's important to go back and appreciate the older ways, how it was done prior to Jesus coming to earth. The book of Hebrews is a wealth of knowledge and a resource for this exact thing. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Hebrews, we invite you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. You can find more messages there. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word, looking for nuggets of wisdom and insights that God wants to teach you right in the book of Hebrews. As we look forward to next time, we trust that you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Come back again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.